The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. All right. I don't know if I mentioned that. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here with uh, along with Scott and Mike. Uh, so welcome again uh, from me to you. Uh, good to be worshiping with you guys. And we are, I think we're in our fourth week now of this, uh, this series we're doing in the book of Ephesians, where we're going in, in great detail and in great depth, uh, both here on Sunday and then at least for the month of May, we've had those message discussion small groups going on that then take the, the content framework of Sunday. And during the week, uh, groups of people have been getting together and, and going more in depth with that stuff. And so... The big theme we've been drawing from this book of Ephesians is this idea of being a healthy missional church. And so some of the, the ways we've done that or looked at so far uh, kicked it off with, of course, Ephesians 1. Uh, we've tried to do this in order. We'll switch it up towards the end. Uh, but Scott talked the first week. He preached on, on the idea of Jesus being at the center. And so whatever else we want to look at, if that center isn't there, then the rest of it just sort of spins off uh, and isn't orbiting anything meaningful. Uh, then the second week, I talked about, uh, looked at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and the big idea that we drew from that was this calling individually to be, the phrase I used was saintly artisans. Uh, not saintly like with the nice, perfectly round halo, but it was that rare square halo for those who are still alive. Uh, there are still saints in progress. Uh, I think I, yeah. I even have my square halo right here that I made there. So we had that the uh, second week. And uh, the idea that, that God has created us to then join in with what he's doing. Uh, that that's part of being healthy and missional individually. And then last week, Scott uh, finished up chapter 2 and went into chapter 3, looking at religious outsiders and religious insiders and how with Christ as the cornerstone that everything aligns with, that those two disparate groups of people can be made one and be one people under God and the things that can then happen. And this week, I want to really focus on that last piece of, of this series, healthy missional church. What does it look like then? What are the features of being a church together with all those other ideas going on? And so if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we'll be uh, in the first 16 verses is where we'll spend our time tonight. Ephesians 4, and it's on page 951 if you want to use the Red Bibles as well. And so, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to what is likely a group of churches uh, that's meant to be used by more than one individual church. And, and so even more so than some of his other letters, this really has broad application. And so we pick it up again in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So a really strong start to this section. And Paul, who has uh, gone through all kinds of trials and tribulations, he's uh, getting to be an older guy now, so he's kind of a spiritual grandparent uh, to these folks. Uh, He's been beaten many times, chased by wild animals, shipwrecked. 
Uh, and now he's under house arrest again. This, I'm not sure if this is the first time. I think this is an additional time. Uh, under house arrest, and he is writing that we're to live a life worthy of this calling that we've received. And he believes us so strongly that he begs us to do this. And in doing so, he sort of implies a very high bar for what it means to be healthy and missional, uh, individually and perhaps as a church. Because uh, implied in that, what, what does he say? He's not real subtle. He always throws in these little bits of detail like, I, Paul, you know, a prisoner in the Lord. Here I am in chains for the gospel. I can't write real well or see real well. I have to write really big handwriting because I'm old. You know, he lays it on really thick and says, in essence, so what are you guys going to do? Sort of you young, healthy, unimprisoned crew. uh, Most of us here, at least, don't have a record. Uh, And he sets the bar really high, sets the bar really high. And so what are the qualities of this life? Let's start looking at that, and then we'll see some deeper application there. But in verses 2 through 6, he then begins to lay out some of these qualities and characteristics of this high calling. And you begin to see that it goes beyond just an individual calling and encompasses everyone who calls themselves followers of Jesus. So he says in verse 2 that we're to do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope in the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And so one of the key features you start to see of a healthy missional church is this big idea of unity. That lets us know it's not about a loose connection of, of, uh, of individuals, but there's meant to be this unity there. And all the language, not only does he use the phrase unity eventually, but everything is one. Uh, and so what are some of those qualities, uh, and even the theology and calling behind this unity? Well, he talks about these shared qualities. So this is what it would look like if we were to assess whether a church is healthy and missional, you'd start to see some of these qualities. He mentions uh, humility. Pretty straightforward one, right? And humility isn't the sense of, uh, of sort of putting yourself out there like a doormat to be walked over. It's humility in the sense of understanding what takes priority. So for those who seek to follow Jesus, uh, we seek to follow Jesus, not have him come alongside. And as we said that first week, Scott preached on Jesus being at the center. And so humility says Christ takes first priority. And then as we follow his example, you know, Christ said, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. Then we realize in humbleness, we're also to serve others. And then third place, though not a distant third, is where we start to care for ourselves in that same context. And so Christ, others, ourselves... Is just a way of understanding how we humbly go about this life. And he says, uh, I think the next one might be patience. Let's see what comes up. Sure, patience. We'll go with that. Uh, and for me, patience, uh, let's just move on. Um, 
to me, a good definition of having patience is to not be a whiner or a quitter. Uh, that's how I think of it. Because if I lose patience, or if one of my offspring loses patience, or, or whoever, you, one of the first things to go is the ability not to whine about whatever's taking place. And so if you have a church, let alone individuals who are whining about stuff, uh, or just plain quitting, that quality of patience definitely isn't there. Because patience gets you through. Uh, and then the other, another quality is gentleness. This is an interesting one. Because we could confuse gentleness with weakness. Yet, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, in fact, I don't think Jesus is terribly interested in, in weak followers. Now, clearly, Scripture says, in our weakness, he is made strong. So I think he'd like to be made strong <laughs> in our lives. But just this generic idea of, of being weak, that's not what he's going for. And so what gentleness then implies instead is that there's actually quite a bit of power, but it's power under control. Uh, we, uh, Bryn was the inspiration for, for one of the cool things our family does. Uh, we are foster parents um, to kittens, <laughs> Don't miss that last part there. Uh, from Lollipop Farm. And if you're weak with kittens, when you hold them, they will kind of get away, uh, you know, run outside, chew up your hand. You can't be weak with them. But if you're a little too powerful, well, then you have an ex-kitten, a, a former kitten. They, uh, <laughs> you know, they are, Lollipop Farm probably doesn't send you more after that. And so you actually have to be gentle, which means power under control. Uh, I joke with some of the neighborhood association folks around here because uh, we're, we're at this nexus of Swilberg, Highland Park behind us, uh, Upper Monroe, and South Wedge. And, and I jokingly say that we're sort of like Switzerland, where these all come together, that we're neutral but heavily armed. Uh, and I think there's something to that as a church, these neighbors don't need a weak church. They need a gentle church that actually has some power of Christ to make a difference, but it's under control <laughs> that's actually useful. And so, so you have those first three, humility, patience, and gentleness. But we could look at those and say, oh, I see. So what we need to do is just hang back and not do the wrong thing. Now, we could interpret these as very passive qualities, right? If I'm just humble and patient and gentle. And in case we misunderstand that, Paul overemphasizes this next piece. He says it twice in real strong language. He says, make an effort. Make an effort. The wording he uses is bear with one another. And then not make a little bit of effort or just these types of efforts. He says, make every effort. And so in all this, we should be breaking a sweat. (laughs) There should be a sense of heavy lifting at times. And to call a church to be healthy and missional is not to say, oh, we've got an easy ride for us now. Uh, it's going to be so gentle and patient and humble and peaceful. No, it's going to take some effort. And so we need to keep that in mind as this passage unfolds and as we look into its implication, that this will require some serious effort. So those are some of the shared qualities. Yet behind those qualities is actually a core theology. Uh, there's, some, there's some key features, in, at least in this passage, that says, 
hear more than just some beliefs, here's some deep convictions that also demonstrate what a unified church body would look like. And when I talk about core theology, I do not mean those secondary or even tertiary. Uh, I don't know what the, the one to, for four things away is, but and on and on. I'm not talking about those less important doctrinal distinctives or, or pet theologies, though I think those are pretty important for us to have a sense of individually. I actually think it's healthy to debate, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism and when Christ is coming back or if all of, you know, the book of Revelation is, was fulfilled in 70 AD or if Tim LaHaye has it right. Or, I think that's important to work that stuff out. But apart from that, there's actually some core theology that everyone in the church should come to an agreement on and should unify around. And you see some of those features in this tight little passage here. Uh, One piece that I saw come out of this is that there's an ecclesial theology. It's a kind of weird word name. Uh, Ecclesia is where we get the concept of church from. And originally it was a, a gathering, sort of a political club of sorts in the Greco-Roman world. And the term was borrowed uh, and then became, you know, the term for, for the church. This gathered people around a common idea and a common calling. But what this ecclesial idea tells me is that healthy and missional can't be where we stop. You actually have to have the church piece on there. That it's meant to be this communal fellowship not lone rangers and one-ofs going off and taking on the world, not even a loose federation of, uh, of barely connected individuals, um, but a real communal body. And this flows very naturally from another theological piece we see here. How does Paul describe God? He uses Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So there's this Trinitarian theology that says something pretty profound about the nature of God, that God, though one, experiences himself communally. So no surprise that this ecclesial idea should flow from the nature of God. If we're creating his image and he's formed this body to, uh, to live out his calling. Uh, and there's all kinds of implications of God as creator, redeemer, sustainer, of approaching God as father, of understanding what Christ has done in the cross and through the empty tomb of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So much so that we could spend literally a lifetime figuring that out. Uh, I'm just going to move on. But it's core, this Trinitarian idea. Uh, But within that, at least the way we experience God, is that this theological core also has to be Christocentric. Which means we would not know a whole lot about God. We'd have a general sense. Scripture says creation and our own conscience are these lesser ways that we come to understand there's a God who made us and maybe call us to a way of life different than we might otherwise choose. But apart from Christ, you don't have that special revelation. You know, where, where Jesus says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Christ has to be at the center for us to understand God. But then also for us to be this, this body of, of Christ followers together means he also has to be at the center because apart from his reconciling work uh, where he makes us not only right with himself, 
but then give us the ability to be made right relationally with each other, you can't be a body of people. Uh, you'll just be a lot of folks who maybe sit close to each other, but still at the end of the day aren't really reconciled. Uh, that forgiveness isn't there. That a shared mission isn't there. That we won't put up with each other when we disappoint and let down and annoy as we all will one another uh, without Christ in the center. And then there's way more than just these four. Well, not way more. There's a few more that are core, I'm, sh- I'm sure. But I think this is an important one to bring out as well, that all of this is grace-based. Because we could read this passage, took the idea of putting, making every effort, and misunderstand that, that this calling that, that Christ has put before us, that salvation, redemption, all those things are something that we make every effort to somehow grasp. Or we could even make the equally bad mistake of thinking, well, the first one's free, but then after that, we've got to maintain it, right? You know, God gave us a pass, brought us in, but if we want to stay in, man, we need to make every effort. When that's simply not the case. It's a response to grace. And so we make every effort not to earn it or to maintain it, but because we're grateful, because we're empowered, uh, because we can. So I think that's important to wrap this whole thing in that idea of, of grace. And then one of the sort of final features I'll pull out here that shows this idea of unity very clearly is that there's also a common calling. We'll talk in a moment about how individually we have unique uh, callings, burdens, giftings, and those things. But there's also this common calling that if we're not all taking part in, then something's disconnected. Either we're disconnected or this concept of church isn't actually happening. And so you see it in two ways. Uh, you see the phrase, the one hope, uh, you, as you, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. So on a very personal level, the common calling that each of us have is to hope in Jesus. Like, Brian doesn't get to hope in, you know, something else besides Jesus or, or trying to think of something funny there and all I could think was things that were inappropriate to say. So, so I stopped. Oddly enough, I stopped talking about that. Um, but yeah, there's not like a Jesus way that's one hope for you guys over here and then, and then here in the middle you guys get to hope in, uh, you know, whatever, you know, political campaign or, or new initiatives coming out of this party or that party. No, the one hope that we're all commonly called to is in Christ. And so that's for us personally. But then what do we do with that? Do we just keep it to ourselves? Well, I think strongly implied in this set of verses and very clearly articulated in the rest of Scripture is then what you do with that hope is you share it with others. Uh, you know, kind of the big term is the Great Commission, uh, that we share that hope with others. And the phrasing here, in fact, a lot of scholars think that parts of this may have been used for the catechism, for the training and preparation for those who are going to be baptized, that there's, there's a sense to the, the cadence and wording, particularly the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that comes up again and again in Scripture and in other documents, too, that that may have been one of those uh, verbal confessions that someone about to be baptized would say. And so... Reminds us very clearly of Jesus' command, go into all the world 
you know, preaching and teaching them how to obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, we're to share this. And that's the one common calling. And so in this unity that helps us begin to understand what the church piece of this thing looks like alongside the healthy and missional chunks, you have laid out these qualities, this theology, and this common calling that really form a baseline. Like if we're to assess the health and mission of a church, this is the minimal stuff. This isn't the high bar, though it is in a sense. This is just the common aspects of what this should look like. And if any of these are, are missing or underrepresented or weak, then that's some baseline stuff we need to deal with. So the general health that every follower of Jesus, as well as collectively as a church, that we should attain, it's described that way. But, there's a but. In verse 7. One of the great things of working through an entire book of the Bible and taking our time as well, we're not rushing through this. It's not like we're doing the whole Old Testament in four weeks or something crazy like that. Um, (laughs) Even with the aid of flannel graphs, uh, 32 feet long. For those who missed that, uh, hit the archives online. Uh, but taking our time, two months that we're, that we're soaking in this book of Ephesians. And so you've heard both Scott and I emphasize that when you see things, you know, Scott said, you know, when you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Uh, when you come across yet, but, it's connecting some things. And so this idea of unity must not be the final word on what church should look like. That we're not merely called to be unified that it's actually unity with a great deal of diversity, which I hope is encouraging to some of us who uh, kind of balk at the idea of, so we're called to be one? Does that also mean we need to be the same? Because I I really would rather not sign up for that. Uh, And so it's unity with diversity. This is the full features of this healthy missional church idea. So we pick it up again in verse 7, and then we'll jump to 11 and 13. So unity with diversity. So here's the diversity being explained. Verse 7, But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then Paul paraphrases a psalm and does this aside of Jesus descending and ascending to give those gifts. And then in verse 11 he says, And the gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why would he do such a thing? To equip. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So now we get to see how it's not merely sameness that Christ is going for. That in fact, I'm not sure that really is unity. That's just conformity. I actually think you have to have differences for unity to even mean anything. And so there's a beautiful description of all these ways that diversity happens. Uh, first one I'll draw out, this is more just set up here. Uh, Paul doesn't go into great detail, but there's a variety of gifts. He does describe some gifts, but they're more in this leadership category, and we'll talk about that in a moment. 
But in some of Paul's other letters, in the book of Romans, in the Corinthian letters, you have these wonderful lists of spiritual gifts. Uh, so that's one aspect of that. Whether it's, uh, you see listed, you know, gifts of mercy. Uh, gifts, you know, one of my big ones. Um, it's, it's not. Uh, I actually scored zero on mercy once on one of those. <laughs> and then I punched the person that gave me the test right in the throat. Um, or leadership. Maybe some of us are better at that than mercy. I don't know. Uh, administration, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, interpreting those things, words of knowledge, healing. You know, you get the whole gamut laid out there. Though there's never an exhaustive list, which lets us know we can't just say these ones count and those ones must not be. Uh, you know, maybe there's the, uh, the spiritual gift of programming C++. You know, and just it wasn't listed there. And that, that falls under either the uh, category of gifts of helps or speaking in tongues, you know, depending on how you view, view that stuff. Um, but I like thinking of, of gifts in these three categories. You have the spiritual gifts that, that the Holy Spirit enables in individual men and women who are followers of Jesus, sort of supernaturally gives them abilities to pull off stuff that just they otherwise couldn't, and certainly set them apart from how other, others do these things. But I also think there's a second category of, of gifts and abilities, which... I just refer to as personal style. I don't just mean how you, how you dress and look, though that can be very important in ministry. Um, no, it's not. Are you a people person? Are you a, more task-oriented? Are you incredibly, just fastidiously organized with your time? Or do you just sort of roll with things? And God has clearly given each of us different personalities and apart from these spiritual gifts, those will matter. If, if you're more people-oriented, you shouldn't be behind a desk, you know, eight hours a day as a ministry calling. In fact, you probably shouldn't be behind a desk just head down in your vocation, period, because that's not how you're wired up, uh, and vice versa. If you're not a people person, you know, maybe you shouldn't be the, uh, the greeter at the door. Uh, if you're incredibly loose with your, with your time and you just are, are really good at improvising, then maybe deadlines that are very tight shouldn't be on your plate. So personal style. And then the final one, it does seem that God calls individuals or gives each of us different burdens for ministry. And I'm not sure if that may change from season to season. It seems like there's always a common thread at least. You know, but as I've understood my calling of, of helping reproduce, you know, ministry stuff, whether it's churches or other ministries, you know, that's a passion I have. You know, some of you have a, have, have a burden for, uh, for the disenfranchised and those who, through whatever circumstances, of their own creating or society or, or others' actions at them, you know, whether they find themselves homeless or otherwise just off the grid, some of you guys have a real burden for that. Some of you like numbers. God is a funny God. And, and so we have these different passions. And I think all those work together for this variety of gifts. But then Paul goes on and also describes this variety of leaders. And there's a sense that these also have gifts associated with them. But even more so, it's these gifted folks who then lead these things happening and just... We'll blow through this real quickly. Uh, you mentioned the apostles, which you have the original 12, but that word just means one who is sent with a commission. 
So it's this idea of those who are commissioned to start something new. Uh, no surprise, that's one that I resonate with, this idea of uh, you know, apostleship. I, I don't think I'm capital A apostle and people who just do what I say, but I love starting stuff. Uh, prophet, um, the New Testament as well as the Old, really sees a prophet as someone who proclaims the word of God. You see these men and women in Scripture that they don't so much foretell the future is that they speak forth the present because apparently no one's quite getting what's going on right now. And here's God's word for right now, and we ought to be clear on this because either there's confusion or darkness or, or heresy or, or just, you know, a mess of some sort. And those with the prophetic gift speak into that situation and, uh, and bring some clarity. And, and usually there's a call to repentance and turning things around. Uh, but they're a spokesperson for God, which, you know, entails some risk uh, on their part as well as us listening to those who may appear or claim to have that role. Uh, you have evangelists who are those who are proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. All of us are called to do that. Some have a particular spiritual gift to do that quite well. And even more so in this list here, I'd say there's some who are called to lead others to be able to do that even better than they might otherwise. And then pastors and teachers are, are sort of connected there in the original Greek, but we often think of them as, as somewhat different categories, though there's tons of overlap with all of these. But a pastor, where's that word come from? It's a shepherd. What's a, what's a shepherd do? protects and guides the flock. And so those who are called to be pastors, those men and women, they, they protect the flock, this body of believers from you know, being eaten by bears and wolves and you know, wandering off by themselves and you know, just going over the cliff. There's a protection piece to it. There's a guidance piece. Like here's the good pastures are this way. Here's, here's a better path for us to be on. When there's injury and wounds, that shepherd binds the, up those wounds carries for a while. Uh, and so that's a real important leadership role. And then teachers is just the more straightforward teaching of the word of God, giving that biblical instruction that, um, again, you can see some overlap with the prophetic piece, but this is just more straightforward, you know, having a broad understanding of scripture. And in this list particularly, I think implied is they then help others and train others to do that same biblical instruction as well. So you have this variety of gifts this variety of leaders, and then from this, you see this wonderful variety of benefits. So here's some of the benefits of being part of a healthy missional church. It's both benefits and a way to measure, because if the benefits aren't there, uh, maybe the church isn't quite there either. But Paul mentions uh, building up. When we think of building up, you know, couple of things come to mind. Uh, might be sort of the bodybuilding side of things, just greater strength and health. That'd be part of it. When we think of it in terms of, of a construction metaphor, though, building up means adding to, putting together. Uh, and so there's, there's two pieces of that, not only the health, but or not only maybe the faithfulness piece, but then how you add to that. We call it the fruitfulness piece. And so one of the ways we can measure whether health is present, one of the ways we can measure whether mission is happening is, is this body of people being built up in both those ways. And so 
I'll throw out a word that makes you know, even me queasy at times, though some of us very queasy. Numbers. Because it's not about numbers, it's about people, right? Except um, how many more people is 10 people than zero people? Uh, 10. So it's a number, and it's a number that's important as long as it's connected to people. And so I think it's, it is helpful. It's not the only way to measure stuff, but to say, is a church being healthy and missional by looking at how the numbers are shaking out? And one of the reasons we're doing this stuff is, you know, late fall through winter, we realized that the missional side of things maybe got ahead of the healthy piece. Like, we were actually, you know, we blew past 100, bumping into 150 on occasion. And that was a numbers deal that represented people. But our health wasn't quite where it should be. I don't think. You know, my take on that and it seems to be a fair consensus amongst the members here and the staff that we weren't quite healthy enough. It wasn't that we were uh, terribly sickly, though there were areas that needed work. I think it was more the health of we weren't robust enough, we weren't strong enough to, to be in as many places at one time, <laughs> to, to bear one another's burdens that were coming in. And so as we come out of this season, I, I actually think the health piece is more in place than it's been for a long time. And I think it's okay to now start focusing again on this missional side. Ah, focus is the wrong word. We should pay attention and start looking over the summer, going into the fall. Are we building up both in our strength and in the numbers side of things? So I don't think we should blow by that idea, even though it, it does rightfully at times make us queasy because, you know, it shouldn't just be about how many butts are in the seat. Uh, it certainly shouldn't be about, you know, how big the offering is. And one of the reasons we're transparent with that stuff is, is we don't ever want to be accused of kind of cooking the books or making that priority. Uh, it's people. But if people are being drawn to Christ, if lives are being changed, that other stuff will show up too. So building up, and then the unity is mentioned very strongly again. Uh, and then knowledge is one of these benefits, and it's not the knowledge that, that I think, you know, for myself and maybe us collectively, fairly educated, highly educated, erudite, as I like to say. We actually know what that word means, a lot of us. Uh, very literate. We could fill ourselves with the kind of knowledge that puffs up, as other scriptures say, could make us arrogant. Uh, that's a danger I think we run here just because of our personalities and our starting place culturally. What Paul's saying instead, though, is a knowledge that's firsthand experience of Jesus. It's to know Christ and be known by Christ. Not secondhand knowledge or thirdhand stories, but firsthand experience of Jesus. And then all of that then should lead to maturity. And maturity doesn't mean that we're more mature than the person next to us, because uh, that's a 50 50, you know. You got pretty good odds here, uh, some more than others. But the measure there isn't one another, it's Christ. And it's not just, you know, this easy-to-hit aspect of Jesus, it's the full stature. It's the whole package. So, with this variety of gifts, this variety of leaders that should be part of what's going on in church, and then, and then certainly the variety of benefits, what we then see is that we're then able to equip one another 
for ministry. That's sort of the big idea here. And so this is how I, one of the ways I would measure the health of, and mission of a church. Does it equip for ministry? Because according to this passage, one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the key things that a healthy missional church does is it equips for ministry. And so I asked the question of myself as I was looking at this, and I'll ask it semi-rhetorically. As we look over the history of Artisan Church, how well do we do with this as a church? How well have we done for our five plus years, you know, going towards six now, of equipping for ministry? I think it's very fair to say we haven't been great at that. Now, the difference is, since this isn't the only thing that a healthy missional church does, uh, I do think we've done other things quite well. And somewhat the nature of being an entrepreneurial startup group of people, a church plants, is you attract folks who, who sort of come pre-equipped, fully loaded, or at least pretty capable. And so there's a sense that, at least from the, at the very beginning, oh, we don't have to worry about the equipping part just yet. We just get some work to do. That was probably a wise, limited choice. I also think more times than not in our history, though as things have gotten more complex, and as we added a bunch of people and then retracted a bit, this was less true. But I think, especially early on, we also got out of the way of ministry happening. Like we unleashed for ministry. If someone showed up and they wanted to, you know, do an organic garden or, you know, or launch uh, all kinds of things, <laughs> you know, doing, uh, doing meals, doing food stuff, uh, doing children's ministry in all of the seven different ways we've done it, you know, we got out of the way. Now, maybe we should have been in the way a little more on some of those and directed it more. Maybe we should have also then equipped. And what we're finding now, I think, is that to go to whatever next level of the calling Christ has for us, uh, what we bring to the table as is isn't quite enough, which is okay. Because apparently, one of the functions of the church is to take what is and then equip it to do what otherwise couldn't happen. And so here's the one big application that we're going to land on. If you uh, read in your bulletins there, we just don't want to be confusing at all on this. We're literally saying, let's do one thing, unified as a church together, to apply this big idea from this section of Ephesians and to speak to some of the issues that we've brought up, the members here have brought up over the last you know, three or four months or, or more, we have our quarterly gallery where members and, and those who are committed to being part of what's going on here come together. Is that idea of, of being equipped, of being unleashed, of having some direction, not just feeling like you're on your own in doing ministry. And so finally we are launching uh, Journey Together 2. We've threatened to do it for almost two years now. Uh, this time we mean it. And just, we're calling it Finding Your Ministry because we didn't want to be more clever than that. Uh, Journey Together 1, uh, for those who are curious, is exploring membership. Uh, that's for folks who may want to become members. And it does not matter what order you do these in for what that's worth. So here's what's happening. Here's what we're asking each of us to do. Uh, one, it'll be in June. And when I say in June, I mean it will start and finish in June. This is not some 13-week forever get a certificate at the end. 
This is not complicated stuff, which is part of what's convicting about the fact we haven't really done it well. We're just going to get this underway and done. We're going to hit it hard June, be in good shape, hopefully for late summer and fall. It's going to be in June. Uh, Again, you can follow along the bulletin too. Uh, I think every member, I don't think we're shooting for 50% or 80% or 98%. I think everyone who's a member of Artisan should do this for a few reasons. One, uh, it's one of the commitments we make as members in our spiritual formation plan to to do Journey Together 2 whenever it shows up. And here it is. Uh, uh, Second reason, that membership commitment is very fresh. That just happened. So whether you became a member for the first time or renewed, you know, there hasn't been several months of things being sort of loose and, you know, and disappointment setting in, and I don't know if I want to do this, which I could understand having, you know, past performance this past year. Uh, So this is fresh stuff. And then the other reason, and also the plus is just whoever else wants to as well. But members, we're expecting this of each other, and everyone's welcome. But here's the other reason I think everyone can do it is the way we're laying out some options. So we've got two options here that should make it accessible to everyone. Uh, when folks signed up for the, the small groups, uh, the message discussion small groups and said what nights they were available, Wednesday night was like 85% of those who signed up for that. So we know Wednesday nights is a sweet spot. So one of the options is going to be those four Wednesdays, 7 to 8.30, uh, show up at 6.30. If you want to do some dinner together, we can make those plans. Uh, but just show up, crank it out. First two weeks are class-style stuff where we'll kind of learn, do the head knowledge piece. Last two weeks are hands-on, crank it out, lab work. You know, big white sheets of paper. Uh, what are we going to do? When are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? Uh, then the second option, because some of you are thinking, well, what if I can't make them all? Wednesday was not the night I could do it. Now I've got T-ball or you know, or ultimate Frisbee or whatever it is. Uh, we're going to do kind of a black church thing here. My, some of my pastor friends, the African-American church, particularly in an urban setting, they take advantage of the fact that when people show up on Sunday, you got them there. And they just, they just do meetings all day long. It's, it's deacons meetings and, and, the, and the sisters are doing, you know, this thing. Just, we're here, let's get it done. So the last two Sundays uh, of June, the 20th and 27th, uh, noon to three. We're going to combine the first two classes, combine those, those two labs, and there'll be a lunch thing. And we'll actually, you know, take like three bucks from folks if they can uh, and just do pizza and wings and mings. We'll mix it up. And then here's the promise, um, is that out of this will come some real results. In fact, uh, I can start handing these out right now, and you can uh, sign up as you want um, there's two sheets there. Brian, would you grab this one? And John, would you get this one? And I think... Thanks, sir. And you can start signing up for that if you want to now. Pass it around. If you need more time, grab it later. But uh, I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, but here's the promise. Uh, real results. This isn't just a class for the sake of knowing more stuff. That literally at the end of this, uh, individually, you will have a very clear personal ministry direction. Whether you choose to express it here, artisan or not, that's okay. You will have a sense of how God's wired you up and what might be some areas you want to try on at least. Uh, And then secondly, if you stick around for the artisan piece of this coming together, uh, at the end of this four weeks, you will at least temporarily, 
You know, nothing's eternal except Jesus here. But at least for a long enough time that'll be helpful, you'll be part of a well-defined ministry team or guild or whatever we end up calling it that will have clear leadership, clear roles, and clear goals. It's no surprise that some of our most effective things here at Artisan have those features, and some of the ones that fall apart after a while don't. I think the Musicians Guild is the ultimate example of this being done well and done from the start well. And so that's the promise. So let's get a win under our belt, a small win. Just let's do this. Uh, nothing confusing. In June, you've got a couple weeks to clear your calendar. Make it so. Uh, so feel free to, to sign up on that. Uh, and then here's how I'll close as we, as we look towards, again, it's not about signing up. This is grace-based. This is our response, hopefully, to what God may be calling us to be as a church here, healthy and missional. Uh, but we need to remind ourselves it's not about our effort. It's about his grace enabling that. And the table of Christ is the picture of what makes that possible, of Christ's broken body in the sacrament of the bread, uh, his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins in the sacrament of the cup. And let me read these, uh, these two verses, or last two verses, Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. And then just turn it over to you to respond as God leads you, whether you approach the communion table, spend time in prayer, continue singing and worshiping. Uh, but let this be our, our meditation before that time. So Paul challenges us and says, in light of these things, if this is what we're doing, he says in verse 14, we must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Let's pray. So God, we do ask that you would make this real, just incredibly practical, that as a church community, we would be unified around the things that matter, that we would share the wonderful, diverse gifts and abilities and backgrounds, and we would be an equipping church. We would enter a new season where equipping for ministry has priority. And so, very simply, help us do that. And now as we head to communion in this remaining time of worship, uh, remind us that it's grace, that Christ at the center is what makes this all possible. And our commitment is to respond with grateful hearts uh, to your calling. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Continue worshiping as you feel led by God. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.